That's the first slide, Colin, thanks. Yeah, I'm really, uh, really grateful, actually, for what we've been receiving over the last couple of weeks on prayer, and uh, this slide, and the leaflet you've now got. Over the last couple of weeks, we looked at Daniel. Mark has been talking to us about Daniel, and um, there's some things that I've brought out of that. So I just wanted to summarize them in my own words. Next one, please. Whoops, keep flipping through. Great. Amen by all that. Good. Next one's a picture of Daniel, and then on to another list. Great. So Daniel's praying, and this was my summary of, uh, I may have left things out, but he prayed from a grateful heart. He was consistent. He didn't just react to crisis. His prayer was daily and consistent. He prayed costly and risky things, risked his life by praying them. He was informed by scripture by what he prayed. He was infused by worship in all he prayed. God's glory was always in focus. In other words, not Daniel, not me. And then finally, Mark, he talked about praying in the name of Jesus. What a beautiful name he has. What a beautiful, what a powerful name it is. And Mark, he said this. He said, in the West, we spend too much time analysing the scriptures rather than endorsing them. And my prayer for today is that actually we go out of here doing things differently because we just take scripture for what it is, even if we don't understand it all. So the message I'm bringing today, to be honest, is a prayer. I know I'm here to do a sermon, but I'm not seeing it like that. I feel as if God's been hauling me through the coals this week. And it's a prayer, actually. Because I want us to know how to pray. And not just how to pray, I want us to pray. (laughs) Blow, how do we pray? Let's just get on with it. And that's my prayer today, that God makes me and God makes us a people who do pray. Because I really believe it makes a difference. That's my ache. (laughs) And I'm basing it basically on the first two sentences of the Lord's Prayer. Because Jesus said, they said, how do we pray? Teach us to pray. And he said, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Simple. Profound. So it's three things, really, I want to bring out of it. To whom are we praying? Why are we praying? And what do we pray? Just from those sentences. So last week, Marky referred to God-gazing. It's the first thing on your little leaflet, God-gazing. And he referred to a poem that's been written by a chap called Malcolm Duncan. He's a Baptist minister. Not that makes a great deal of difference. He's a man who loves God. I'm going to read you God-gazing. It's a part of a trilogy poem. And uh, because I think it's amazing. And as I read it, I'm praying it. For us. I want to be a God gazer, captured by the brilliance that springs from the radiance of you. I want to be a God gazer, not a cheap food grazer or an easy option laser. I want to be a trailblazer for the ordinary, everyday life. I want to be a God gazer 
Not just copying the peace-happy ways that shimmer brightly in the haze of bygone rays and the good old days. I want to be a God-gazer, looking beyond the trappings of success, cutting through the stucco of respectability like a laser-piercing darkness. I want to be a God-gazer, reaching for the stars and seeing beauty in a moment by becoming fluent of the language of the God who is here and who is now. I want to be a God-gazer till my imagination is saturated, my thirst is sated, my passion is stirred, my intellect is stretched as far as it can be until my yearning becomes, till my yearning yearns for others to be free. I want to be a God-gazer, not a meetings manager or a people pleaser or a tea tea and sympathy vicar, not a leadership trainer, not just a speaker, but a seeker. I want to be a God-gazer, and for a moment I want God to gaze through me. I want others to see his eyes, his heart, his mind, his love, and above everything else that they see in me. I want to be a God-gazer captured by the brilliance that springs from the radiance of you. Amen? I almost feel like sitting down. (laughs) To whom do we pray? It's my first question. I want you to imagine that you're going to buy an expensive perfume, men. Women may do it differently. But if I have to buy an expensive perfume, which is extremely rare if I've ever done it, um, because I just go in and say it's the one she always has. (laughs) But if I wanted to choose one that was different, how would I go about it? I'd go in and I'd see some beautiful thing there behind the counter and I'd have to engage with them because I need advice. (laughs) I haven't a clue. I make eye contact with the person and say, help me. You gaze at them. (laughs) I wonder, well, I I can only describe myself. Often when I pray, I'm not actually gazing at God. I just kind of trot it off. Who am I praying to, really? Is it to kind of... Something out there? Is it to my own mind, my own heart? Really, honestly, who are we approaching? What is prayer if we don't know who we're talking to? I think it makes a huge difference to how I understand what prayer is all about. When we're coming to pray, we're praying to the one we've been singing about, who put the stars into space who just by doing that could destroy me. He's a holy God. He's awesome. All-powerful. The ruler over the universe. Over everything that we see and hear and do. That's who we pray to. And we need to engage his eyes. Let him look at us. And let us look at him. So when we pray, we know who we're talking to. I've been looking this last couple of weeks at the Old Testament sacrifices, just because I'm reading through the Bible in a year again, because I so appreciated doing it last year. 
And there's chapter after chapter after chapter of sacrifices and what you do and what you can't do and all this kind of thing. And you kind of think, well, what's all that about? I think that the people that Jesus was talking to when he was on earth understood how holy God was. I do, and I think we sometimes miss that. So if a priest, for example, brought a lamb or an ox or something that was defective in some way, God would reject it. He wouldn't listen to them. And people were unclean if they're simple things. They touched a dead body or something like that. God said, no, you can't come. And if they came with sin in their hearts, God wouldn't listen to them. Go away, out of my presence. You come and bring a right sacrifice. Get yourself right, or I'm not going to listen to you. That's the kind of God we approach. And that's scary, and it's wonderful. <laughs> Leviticus 22 says this. So you shall keep my commandments and do them. I am the Lord. Do not bring shame on my holy name. For I will display my holiness among the people of Israel. I am the Lord who makes you holy. It was I who rescued you from the land of Egypt, that I might be your God. I am the Lord. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. (laughs) Hallowed means be holy. And the first sacrifice of all the offerings is called the burnt offering. And uh, it turns up, it's described in a lot of places, Leviticus 1, Leviticus 6, Numbers, various places, we have the burnt offering. And the amazing thing about this burnt offering was that it was offered daily, morning and evening. Perpetually, the priests were told the fire under that offering must never, ever go out. 24-7, the fire must always be burning. It was also offered every Sabbath, the beginning of every month, every Passover, and various other feasts. And anyone could bring a burnt offering at any time. And the purpose, the burnt offering was like a general atonement offering. It was for acknowledgement of sin and a request for renewed relationship with God. It's a bit like, it says in Romans 12, bring yourself as a living sacrifice to God. That's like the burnt offering. And the The burnt isn't really a good translation of the Hebrew. It actually means a going up in smoke offering because it's talking about something going upwards. That's the emphasis. So, question for you. Well, biblical scholars, where's the first reference to burnt offering in the Bible? If you think you know, you can shout it out, but I'm not expecting anyone to do that. Old Testament. Nice one. Very good, Caroline. Can anyone narrow it down at all? First half of the Old Testament, maybe? (laughs) Okay, so there's a lot of it in Leviticus. I was really surprised. It's Genesis 8. There it is, the ark. Well, that's a model of it. What's the context? God told Noah, 
the wickedness of man is so great, I'm going to start again. I'm going to wipe the world clean. And God brought judgment on the world. Terrible judgment. Destroyed every living thing, including all the human beings, apart from Noah and his family, who God saw had some goodness in him. And so they were all packed into this ark that Noah built, and the floods came, and the world, as it was known, was destroyed. Incidentally, I read in Psalm 104 this week, I was amazed, I thought, ah, during the floods, there's a rendering of the the original that says that during those floods, the mountains were raised up and the valleys were sunk so that the waters would be contained. That makes a lot of sense in terms of how all the structures of what we see and why fossils are here and things of that. Isn't that interesting? Isn't scripture always true when we actually get to it? (laughs) Anyway, that's an aside. So what happened? They were afloat. It must have been awful, wasn't it, really? The world was destroyed. And then... The water subsided, there was a restructuring of the earth, things started to come back to normal again, and then eventually God said, go out of the ark. You give no other commandments, go out of the ark. And the first thing Noah did was build an altar. God didn't tell him to, so it's up there. And Noah built an altar to the Lord and took some of every clean animal and some of every clean bird and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Burnt offerings. And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I've done. So picture this. Noah comes out of the ark and he just thinks, what can I offer God? I'm alive. Everything else has been destroyed. I've escaped Judgment. I've escaped the wrath of God. And I'm here. What can I give him? I'll give him any clean thing I've got. And he made this burnt offering. And the smell of it was a sweet aroma to God. I'm so glad Jenny said, worship and prayer, I think they cannot be extricated from each other. It was worship, it was prayer. And as a result of that, God made a promise. That's prayer. (laughs) Let's put it in modern context. Paul says in Ephesians, all of us used to live that way. Like in Noah's day, if you like, following the passionate desires and inclinations of our sinful nature. And by our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. We don't often talk about the wrath of God, do we? Scripture does. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. That's John's Gospel. I thought John was all sweet. 
And if there's ever a motivation for prayer, it's when we see God as he really is and realise what saving love he has for us and how we owe him everything. And we worship him and want to come before him and gaze at him because he's saved us. He's rescued us. It's a sweet aroma to God. So to whom do we pray? Slide seven. To God, who's holy, merciful, forgiving, loving. To God, who wants everyone to be rescued. To God, our Father. At this stage, I have to say, Is he your father? Really? If he's not, he longs to be. And the invitation is there. Are you right with him? Do you love him? Do you love your neighbour? Next question. Why do we pray? Prayer wells up from the privilege of relationship. That's what I believe. The more we gaze at God, the more we understand, we know him, I mean know him, as relational. Not just about him, but the more you get to know God, the more you just want to be with him, to commune with him, to talk with him, to know what he's thinking. Prayer becomes then something unstoppable, I believe, which is why I so want it to be part of our whole fabric and DNA as a church. Because we want God to be lifted up. Our Father, I'm in a relationship with you. You're in heaven. Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. We want God to be lifted up, don't we? (laughs) We want to see his kingdom come. That is, king in my life, king in other people's lives, king, ruler over the things of this world, injustice, righteousness, things like that. And fundamentally, why do we pray? Because we understand the need for everybody to know him. I've mentioned before I use PrayerMate, which is a really useful app. I don't like advertising apps because I can't stand computers, really. But hey, it's good because it's a very simple way of helping me to be more disciplined about my praying. And so every day I pray for you guys. Individually, I go through a rotor. Every day I pray for my family. Every day I pray for some people. Every day. And when I pray for my family, I just want to cry. Because I want them to know God. I want them to know Jesus. I, I can pray about the house they want to buy or the job they do or this and that. But actually, God says he gave his life for them. <laughs> hmm. And I want to believe what God says. I don't want to deceive myself. I want them to know him. 
I want God to put hunger in their hearts. Because I don't know how I'd have got to know God if he hadn't sought me out. <laughs> sought me, as in looked for me. And sorted me out. <laughs> I'm still imperfect. In case you hadn't noticed. Question three. How do we, what do we pray? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's a toughie. That's a toughie. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And how often my prayers, actually, do I put that aside a bit and I just pray the things that will make, will be an umbrella for me. Make life a little bit more convenient or it's what I want, what I'd like, or I might like for someone else. But your will be done. So praying for my family, I want them to be rescued and to know God for themselves, number one. Doesn't mean I don't pray other things, but that's the number one. So I came across a very useful, well, there's a little book. I'll show you the book. Prove I didn't make it up. A moody classic. Answers to Prayer by George Muller. Bristol man. He never had said he had the gift of faith. Did you know that? He just used to pray. <laughs> and as he prayed, he learned to pray. So he prayed. And he suggests how to ascertain the will of God. Someone asked him, how do I ascertain the will of God? So I want to tell you what he said. So on the slide you'll see a summary and I'll then actually read what he says in the book. Set your heart into such a state that it has no will of its own. If you want to know what God's will is, that's number one. He says this. This is his own testimony, mind, and he saw, well, we all know, don't we? Phenomenal answers to prayer. Absolutely phenomenal. You've only got to drive up to see the orphanages that were. He says this. I seek at the beginning to get my heart into such a state that it has no will of its own in regard to a given matter. Nine-tenths of the trouble with people generally is just there. Nine-tenths of the difficulties are overcome when our hearts are ready to do the Lord's will, whatever it may be. When one is truly in this state, it's usually but a little way to the knowledge of what his will is. So I know, I was reading about when he was... Asking God, should he extend the orphanage from, I think he had 30 children into 900 or something. And this is what he did. He kept coming back to God and say, I just want to lay my heart completely open. I want nothing for myself in this. I just pray that continually. Number two. Do not leave the result to feeling or simple impression. Good advice. He says this. Having done this, I do not leave the result of feeling or simple impression. If so, I make myself liable to great delusions. Number three. I seek the will of the Spirit of God through or in connection with the Word of God. Marquis emphasized this when he's speaking. He's saying, use the Scripture. Be informed by Scripture. 
The spirit and the word must be combined, says Muller. If, he, if the Holy Spirit guides us at all, he will do it according to the scriptures and never contrary to them. Number four. Next, he says, I take into account providential circumstances. These often plainly indicate God's will in connection with his word and the spirit. Next, fifthly, I ask God in prayer to reveal his will to me aright. And finally, thus, through prayer to God and the study of the word and reflection, I come to a deliberate judgment according to the best of my knowledge and ability. And if my mind is thus at peace and continues so after two or three more petitions, I proceed accordingly. In trivial matters and in transactions involving the most important issues, I have found this method always effective. Isn't that amazing? So simple. It's the first one that's really challenging, isn't it? Nine-tenths of the issue is saying, not my will, but thine be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Okay, what's next? Okay, you can just leave. Oh, if you could just bring them all up, Colin, that'd be great. I'm indebted to Colin for a quote. Because we're looking at grooves. Mark introduced this last week. It'd be good for you if you haven't had the explanation. Listen to the sermon, it's on the web. It's great. And Colin Thomas came up to me after and said, Ah, there's a really good quote by Homer Simpson on grooves. I'll read out a bit of it. I'm not going to do the voices because I can't, all right? It wouldn't do them justice. Marge said, What's wrong, homie? Homer said, I went to the record store today and they were playing all that music I've never heard of. It was like the store had gone crazy. I used to rock and roll all night and party every day. Then it was every other day. Now I'm lucky if I can find half an hour a week in which to get funky. A bit like prayer life. I've got to get out of this rut and back into the groove. And I suggest for us as a church, and this is my prayer, and for everyone here, whether you're not part of this church, doesn't matter. I want us to get out of the rut and into the groove. A couple of weeks ago, I was doing some gardening with my brothers. And uh, I was raking some leaves. I went down to pick up some leaves. And my knee locked. It clicks occasionally, has done for a year or so, nothing serious. I just think, oh, you know, and then the pain goes off. This time it didn't. I thought, so I just straightened it. I had to crack and it was very painful uh, for a day or two. In the end, I thought, well, no, I didn't think at all. Chris said, you need to go and see the doctor. (laughs) So I do what I'm told uh, in the end. So I went, and my thinking was, I've cracked something, it's a bit loose, something in there, you know, oh, it was not good, not good. And uh, I probably need a little op, and should I wear a bandage on it in the meantime, and this, that. So I went to the doctor, I hope he's right, but this is what he said. He said, no, nothing's broken, nothing. You've got 
a patella tracking issue. So apparently your kneecap sort of moves around every time you bend your knee. Well, it does, doesn't it? And uh, I'm looking at the doctors in case I'm going way off, but this was a doctor who told me this. And, uh, and so it sort of tracks up and down on the bones. So a, this is the top of your leg, and that's the bottom of your leg, and the patella moves around, so it tracks. And what happened was, basically, because of the way my bone structure is, it tends to kind of jump out of the groove. <laughs> so it's a patella tracking issue. So I said, so what do I need to do? You know, anti- what, what, what he said... Take anti-inflammatories, walk through the pain. Really? Surely not better. <laughs> no, take anti-inflammatories, walk through. Shall I wear a bandage? No, that won't help. And I'd like to suggest, it's not there yet, by the way. I may be going to see him again. No, no, seriously. It does make a difference. But it really struck me that it's like that with my prayer life. I want kind of a quick fix. I want, you know, I find this really difficult. I find praying difficult. You know, and ouch, it brings pain and, you know, and I'm comfortable. Mm, I, don't, I don't know how to pray properly. Walk through the pain. <laughs> Take an anti-inflammatory if you like. Don't be inflamed against God. But walk through it. Let's learn how to pray by praying. And not just reading about it. Or thinking about it. Or studying about it. Let's pray. Get in the groove. Samuel Chadwick. I won't explain who he is. He said, there's no way to learn to pray but by praying. The subject's beset with problems. But there are no problems of prayer to the person who prays. They're all met in the fact of answered prayers and the joy of fellowship with God. And I totally agree. I want to finish by reading the last part of that trilogy. God-gazer. There are three parts. There's God-gazer, life-giver, and world-changer. And again, as I read this, I don't know how this is all received, but this is my prayer. Because I do believe that God is a God of dynamite and not umbrellas. God's a God who wants to change the world. And for reasons I still don't understand, he chooses people like you and me to do it. I just don't understand that. I wish that Jesus had come back in a million different people called Jesus and walk around like he did on earth 2,000 odd years ago. But he doesn't. He's chosen people like you and me. People like Elijah. People like you. People like me. This is world-changing, and then I'm stopping. I want to be a world-changer, not just a furniture rearranger, or, and it could be better, whinger, or a have-the-leftovers stinger. I want to be a world-changer, a doer, not just a talker. I want to spread the clothes of heaven. No more or less than a poor man's dreams beneath the feet of Jesus. I want to be a world-changer, Because on a morning, many winters ago, a tomb was open, the curse was broken, death had to go, and recreation burst out of an old wineskin, like water from a geezer, like the cry of a child pushed into the way, and nothing would shut him up. 
I want to be a world changer because it started, because the vanguard's on the move, and love is pushing out hate, and light is shining in darkness, and darkness cannot understand it, it can't beat it, it can't change it, it can't hide it, it can't kill it, it can't stop it, it will win. I want to be a world changer because there's safety in this danger, there's meaning in this purpose, there's joy in this mission. And too many others are missing the power of life in all its fullness. World changer, life giver, God gazer, God break in, then break out. Fill us, make us leak, plug us in, push us out, in us, through us, around us. Make us Patricks, make us Brendans, God gazing, life giving, world changing, captured by the brilliance that springs from the radiance of you. God, make us a praying people. Amen.